you're listening to the Trossex Wild Apothecary podcast, Yoga, Herbs and Wild Food, with me, Rox Madeira. And today I am talking to Sarah Wheatley. She's a psychotherapeutic counsellor, parent infant therapist and a parent kind developer. And we're talking all about parent and children's and infants' mental health and mental well-being during this crazy pandemic time. And we're also going to talk a bit about some tips and tools and techniques that you might be able to use and just about giving yourself a break during this crazy time. So if you want to contact and book an appointment and talk to Sarah, I've put all her details in the show notes so you can contact her directly. And if you're interested in using yoga as your resource, I'm running uh, by donation yoga classes, which are trauma informed. Um, we're focusing on developing the core so that, and pelvic health, so they're specifically good for postnatal mums, but also that as postnatal at any stage. But we're also using tools um, to help with trauma and anxiety um, at the start of the class. So the details are also below. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Okay, yeah. Um... Uh, well, I suppose a bit about me, I'm um, a perinatal psychologist and I got interested in, I've always been interested, I, I studied psychology and I've always been interested in, in um, sort of that way of thinking about people, how people work. But I think I got really interested in um, psychotherapy after my, my son was born um, because I had really bad personal depression and anxiety. Um, and I joined the therapy group for two and a half years. And um, it wasn't just the therapy, actually, because of being part of the group that made a big difference to me. Um, so I think that, that, that was when I retrained. I'd been in community development before that. Um, but I suppose I sort of think that... Um, there are loads of amazing supports out there and everybody needs different things and I don't think therapy is for everybody. Um, but I do think that it definitely has its place in terms of sometimes being able to talk about the things that feel really difficult to talk about and some of the emotions of, of being a parent that can feel almost impossible to talk about. Um, and yeah, I suppose I've touched on intrusive thoughts, um, but also, yeah, stuff like times when sort of we resent our babies or when we feel like our babies hate us or when we're disappointed in what gender our baby is or other kinds of things like that or, or when we just don't feel able to be a good enough mother or when trauma or past history sort of means that we find it very difficult to be the mother that we want to be. Um, I think those are the times when therapy can be really, really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I set up with and beyond to support parents that um, I think I think quite often people come feeling like they're getting it wrong and actually I think quite often people find that their their feelings are sort of quite the same response to what's gone on in their lives previously or what's going on right now and actually by being more able to um, acknowledge what's going on for them or what has gone on for them actually they can get on with learning about who they are as a parent mm-hmm. and, and that might not be exactly the parent they thought they were going to be but actually it might be who they really are and that might be a lot more comfortable and, and realistic and enjoyable for them so yeah I suppose it's, it's it can be easier talking to somebody that you don't know absolutely definitely especially at the moment and, and again sort of 
thinking about um, sort of ways of communicating. Actually, Zoom has been really good because there are a lot of people that maybe are in communities that are quite small or quite remote and maybe can't access services quite easily. And I was thinking about a lot of the sort of online groups that there are as well. Actually, there's a lot more stuff available to some people now as a result of going online, which sort of, especially people who live in very remote communities and actually I work quite a lot of people that are expats as well and, and sort of so actually they can tap into these communities much more easily than they could otherwise yeah I think that has been really good but also in terms of therapy as well sort of people that live in sort of islands in Scotland or whatever who might not necessarily want to talk to a local therapist because they might have yeah. to know their granny who knows their aunt who knows their water mm-hmm. so actually you know, a bit of distance can be really helpful definitely yeah yeah I wonder if if this will because some of these services will continue afterwards because they have been quite beneficial people yeah I hope so I really yeah I I think we've learned a lot definitely yeah so I think I was thinking of kind of talking about like tools and things to give people um and just because you talk because you talk about children's mental well-being and things so maybe talking around that about giving reassurances maybe yeah, that, and also maybe talking about um, you know how everybody gets anxious and it is that kind of time and you're not going to just mess everything up <laughs> you know and it's okay to be on edge sometimes it's okay to be climbing the walls and <laughs> it's okay to kind of get annoyed with your kids and stuff it doesn't yeah. make you a bad parent yeah. yeah no absolutely no definitely and actually that's just maybe a sign that you're a good parent actually sometimes so don't you you're actually thinking about it (laughs) noticing that yeah exactly if you're caring about it then yeah that's that's the important bit yeah um but that's the bit that causes distress really i suppose so yeah exactly Uh, the other thing that i was thinking of the thing that sort of i thought might be worth mentioning and i don't know what you think is that actually i've noticed there's a massive increase in intrusive thoughts in in uh mums with young babies and and I think sort of my my wondering is whether that is because actually there's just not enough resources and so they literally are feeling very much at the end of themselves and very like there is nowhere to turn because there is nowhere to turn and there's no support and so actually their brains are quite naturally going to worst case scenarios but obviously that's really really distressing if you don't know that intrusive thoughts are actually your brain trying to process stuff. Can you and, elaborate on intrusive thoughts? What, what? Well, a lot more mums are having having awful images of themselves hurting their babies or harm coming to their babies. Um, and I, I think it's, I mean, obviously those thoughts are utterly distressing for the mum, but they seem to be on the increase. And I suppose I'd like to mention that because actually mums don't act on intrusive thoughts. If they're aware, if they're distressed by them, they're not going to act on them. They're horrible. They're distressing. They're really upsetting. um, They're not good to experience. But actually, if you can take away the fear that that means that you're going to do something awful to your baby, because that is one of the most awful things to feel, obviously. Um, But I think it's because mums are literally so at their limits that actually, quite rightly, their brains are going, I'm at my limit. What happens if I hit my limit? Yeah. Is this what's going to happen? Like, is it sort of, what happens if I can't look after my baby anymore? What happens if I, sort of, there is so little of me that I become dangerous to my baby? So mm-hmm. that's what their brain's going to. Mm-hmm. Sorry. 
No, I was just going to say, I think it's quite understandable in the climate of everything that you're hearing about as well, that, you know, it, it it's constantly, you know, the virus is getting worse, this is happening, that's happening. So it's understandable that you're on edge and getting heightened yeah. about these things. And also when you're talking about you can't go anywhere, you know, you literally, <laughs> you, you know, this, you kind yeah. of feel very much like kind of enclosed in your house, which because well, you are, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But if, if, I mean, we're not meant to do it, just two people looking after kids. So if there's only two people or one person looking yeah. after a baby or, or more than one child, actually, there is a limit. You do have a finite limit. You can't just expand and expand and expand and have endless patients and endless sort of resources, internal resources available to you. You do hit a limit. Yeah. And so I think that parents, where they would probably hand the baby over to somebody else or where they would um sort of go and speak to somebody or something like that they just they don't have that support or where they would talk to a friend and go I'm really struggling with this and the friend would go look I'll come over and and sort of I'll just yeah sort of I'll look after the baby or whatever yeah. but just there aren't those outs there aren't those sort of informal ways of just getting a bit of support and so I think there is so much pressure there is so much pressure on not just mums dads as well but it yeah. is falling a lot on mums yeah. and I think that is why mums are feeling really really um scared of what will happen if there isn't enough of them because there isn't anything else they are the bottom line at the moment for for most of these children yeah. and that's, that's not an okay place to be in like that's when mums break mm-hmm. and are you finding that across various ages from birth up until up in into school yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. And when people talk about it, it takes a village. I don't think it's about actually the child needs the village. It's the parents that need the village in order to get the support to be able to be able to parent the child. The yeah. child doesn't themselves need the village, but they need their parents to have that support in order to be able to look after them. Yeah. So without that support, and I mean agencies are stretched, I mean it, it, everything is just really stretched at the moment sort of getting support is so difficult whether it's professional support or informal support or just emotional support or practical support I mean people can't have cleaners and I think a lot of women especially sort of think oh I should be able to clean the house and have a baby no no you really shouldn't and if your partner is trying to do the work as well and and sort of they don't realize how much work it takes to look after a baby yeah um and that's actually that's that's work in itself like doing the cooking the cleaning the shopping the tidying the sleeping like that all happens on top of the work of looking after a baby yeah and I think unfortunately the sleeping just gets kind of the smallest amount of attention it probably it needs a lot more attention but it's impossible <laughs> you know because yeah. the baby's there waking up at night or your toddler or your child or whatever you you can't you, I mean, as a mum you just wake up you can't just ignore them and fall asleep it's no no exactly and and again if you don't have that facility to get more sleep somewhere else so if mm. it isn't that sort of like you've got nursery so you might catch a quick sort of half hour cat nap or yeah. uh, you've got a parent who might come around and take the baby out of the buggy so you can sort of get 40 winks or even just rest with your eyes shut sort of parents are getting more and more and more depleted like yeah. really depleted um, yeah have you got any any tips or anything for people to try and what's the word not replete but build yeah up. No. <laughs> I suppose 
my 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 big thing is about trying to shift people's ideas about what is um, possible, if that makes any sense, because I think it's very difficult, especially for new parents, and actually even for parents that have had kids before, to recognise how much the pandemic has taken away from their ability to get support. And I think a lot of parents feel guilty about needing support anyway. There's this idea that the nuclear family should be enough and all the rest of it. Yeah. absolutely categorically does not work it's been proven not to work it's just it's sort of worked in the 1950s when women didn't go out to work and men were the sole breadwinners and you could survive on one income and and that kind of stuff and but do we know it worked then I mean did it work at that point as well or did well it I think there was probably quite a lot of unhappiness and yeah. a lot of women taking antidepressants yeah. or, or drinking a lot of gin but yeah. so I think it didn't really work but that sort of idea that sort of it functioned sort of um, it sort of was propagated then and it, and it doesn't it really really doesn't so even if there are two of you that's not enough for one child let alone two three four however many kids you've got yeah. and I think that is the myth that I want to really I suppose expose because Covid really plays into that because it, it means that um, if you've got that idea that two people should be enough and then you're in this pandemic and you've got no cleaner, no sort of opportunity to sort of get a break, no opportunity to catch up on sleep with somebody looking after the baby or, or whatever. If you've not got any of those other supports at all, you might think it's your fault that you are reaching breaking point. Yeah. And you might think it's your fault or, your, or even your partner's fault. It can cause a lot of resentment because you sort of think, why is he not pulling his weight? And he or she is probably pulling their weight as much I mean there might not be because that's another issue as well but but actually yeah I think um two people is not enough it's really not enough so um yeah that's the big thing that I would like to say is that sort of actually you have to cut things out and you have to bear a certain amount of disappointment that things can't be the way you want them to be so the house really might have to be disgusting and and I and I say that with a full horror at myself of, of when my house feels disgusting. Um, but that's actually about survival. It's the most important thing is to keep hold of your relationships and stop yourself from breaking in this. So that that is the priority. That's the absolute priority. Everything else can just about get put back together. But um, but yeah. I think, yeah, letting go of that kind of perfectionism a little bit of like what you're saying of having the house perfect and having it... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really difficult because I, I sort of think I, I really understand that actually for a lot of people, that's a real sense of control and, and, and it really helps them. So I think there's something about acknowledging that it's really painful sort of to have to let that go, that that is actually really, really, it, it feels really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that you're choosing to do that in order to make sure that you've there is enough of you to look after yourself and, and your family means that it might help that be a little bit less painful if that makes any sense because that is your choice you are acknowledging the pain but it's not necessarily just cleaning the house either I mean it can be anything else couldn't it any other little thing that you can maybe let go of to focus on something else maybe I think mums they kind of they put themselves last quite a lot but you need to fill up your well before you can then you know give it to somebody else so kind of you need to somehow find a little bit of time to, to nurture yourself a little bit 
you know, even if it's that, like, you know, phoning somebody on a, on a Zoom call and just saying, ah, even not even talking about the stress, just talking to somebody about just anything, you know, what's happening. Did you watch TV yesterday? You yeah. know, that kind of makes a difference, I think. And also then just taking, even just going for a bath or even just like going for a walk or, I mean, having, I, I, from my side, I'd say things like, you know, having like an essential oil that you can smell that just makes you think, calm down or having a cup of tea or, you know, something like that, just for that moment, take yeah. it away from the craziness. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. And I think, um, I think you said something really put this sort of like, and I think oils are sort of smells are really good. Something that helps you feel safe, first of all, mm -hmm. because um, we've all got different things that help us feel safe. And acknowledging that actually we're all in a state of anxiety, as you said before, um, and all our nervous systems are in a state of, of yeah just moderate anxiety. And I think everyone that plays out in different ways, you'll notice some people getting more angry and some people getting more tearful and some people getting more withdrawn, but we're all dealing with this sort of, this underlying fear of threats going on all the time. So I think, yeah, you're right. Safety is really important. So smells can really help with that. If you've got a smell, if you've got an sort of like image of, um, of a place or a time that you felt really safe, positive photos they can be really helpful um some people find particular clothes make them feel really good i've noticed that i make sure that i wear a really nice pair of socks every day they're sort of they feel really fluffy i've, I've like my sock budget this year has been huge but it's like <laughs> i can't believe i'm missing this <laughs> but yeah i'm like I've, I've discovered these sort of like part wool part cashmere socks oh, and there's something <laughs> so lovely about wearing these really nice socks that yeah. I feel like I've just given myself a bit of a treat whenever yeah, I put them yeah. on so so that but also really stupid and and stuff like you said and it doesn't have to be really big I having time to do sort of basic self-care as well like I I um I was thinking the other day I finally found the time to sort of pluck the hairs out my chin you know what I mean and I was like actually that made me feel so much better yeah. about myself because I'm vain enough to care about the fact that if, even though people can't see it on Zoom, I can notice them. And I was like, I just needed that five minutes to just look after myself. Yeah. Um, so it's those things, they all, they all really matter. And, and for some people, it might be watching sort of first dates on TV. For some people, it might be getting a chance to sort of start to read a book or listen to an audio book or something like that but oh audio books I find audio because I can't I never get a chance to read a book and I've said this to other people because people you know they say oh I really want to read a book but and I think people forget about audio books and I find them really helpful like if I just need to switch off for a minute from cooking or even sometimes when I put when I'm putting the kids to sleep and I have to just lie there beside them if I just lie there I find I'm thinking about loads of things I need to do this I should be doing that why am I just lying here next to you audiobook then it's like I can, I can lay there for as long as, long as it takes yeah. to get sleep but I can just you know I'm away in like some other some other place you know another visual another you know that just really so that's genius I find that really helps me so it helps keep you there without feeling impatient with your kids because exactly. you're bring something out of it that's actually for you yeah, well. and I mean, I can still talk to them. It's like if they need to talk, I can still talk to them. I can take an earbud out, I can hear them. But it just takes away that anxiety of just ha of having to struggle to put them to sleep. Yeah, yeah. No, That, that might help other people. <laughs> no, well, I think that's it. It's also personal. And I think 
I think there's something also about using all your senses because I think we forget how actually we use our bodies to help us deal with anxiety quite yeah. Yeah. so helpful and yet smell really helpful sounds really helpful so music stuff like that really helpful audiobooks really helpful um and and I was going to talk about sort of exercise as well and I think a lot of people think that sort of think about going for a run and actually I'm going to say running can be really good because it gets your endorphins going but it also raises your sort of adrenaline and stuff like that which are the the hormones that you get when you're stressed so you are actually elevating sort of the adrenaline in your body so I would sort of say if you're finding that sort of um you're still feeling really really stressed actually maybe try a walk or yoga or um pilates or something that maybe is quite mindful or whatever but is maybe a bit slower and maybe helps your body release some of the adrenaline and release some of the cortisol because um, endorphins are really important. Endorphins are great, um, but we're also sort of trying to help sort of reduce the sort of fear response and reduce our sort of sort of our bodies clinging on to this sort of anxiety. So, um, so things that help calm you down mm-hmm. might be really, really helpful as well. But as I say, I'm not knocking the importance of endorphins like they're really helpful too but but yeah everybody's got a different way of balancing it and I find that sort of I I do love running when I can but actually if I'm feeling anxious I find that running sort of sort of almost gets me higher if that makes any sense rather than helping me come down so yeah I think that depends as well it can depend on how you deal with um like trauma and anxiety because if you if it manifesting you as being very anxious I think having something that's calming is quite good but if it manifests you as being like disassociated or um like depressed and you know slowing down maybe something a little bit yeah uplifting I mean that can still be in the form of as a yoga practice because you've got you know practices that move a bit faster and are more uplifting or running or something like that so yeah I think you know you can yeah it depends on different people doesn't it and on how you're feeling yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. So it's, it's, I suppose we're being really unhelpful here and saying no one thing suits everybody. But I think, I mean, that's it. We're it's all individuals. Yeah. It's, it's so personal. It's so personal. And it might take a while to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, yeah, what was, there was something else you were asking about um, tools earlier. And actually, no, um, because I was thinking there is a lot of there is a lot of trauma at the moment mm-hmm. um, that sort of just even the idea of sort of how you're going to give birth and, and sort of the increased sort of stress on that is, is um, increasing a lot of anxiety for people um, and I suppose some of the techniques that we talked about just there but also things about having almost like a sort of toolkit of stuff that makes you feel safe that you can come back to. So smells, photos, sort of a bit like your comfort blanket, if you, if you know what I mean. So you think about a child's comfort blanket or whatever, it's not just the thing itself, it's the way that it feels when they hold it, it's the way that it smells when they hold it next to their face. It's the sort of texture between their fingers. There's so many different aspects. So um, trying to put stuff together and that might be sort of songs from or, or music from particularly memorable 
times in your life and and it might be taste might be particular foods that sort of remind you of like particularly good times in your life but but literally sort of have your box and go there will be times when I'm just feeling like it's all it's it's um I'm feeling a bit dissociated or I'm feeling a bit panicky or I'm being taken back to that situation that was really scary mm-hmm. um and obviously that's not to say that you don't need support and you don't need um to get looked after um and and that you don't need other tools as well but I think there's there's things about making sure that you can help your body um cope with the impacts of trauma because actually sort of dealing with everything in your body is is, um when when you don't have enough support it's really really hard yeah yeah I can't I think I know I can't imagine actually having a baby at this time (laughs) because I think when I mean when I had my children you know I didn't well the first one you know I didn't know what to expect you know it's just so unexpected you can't you you cannot imagine what your life's going to be like afterwards and I think it was important for me having people coming to visit me so I think it must be very difficult for people now yeah they can't have anybody come to see them and take the baby for a minute and like your life is so completely different and so completely turned on its head that you just you can't even imagine it beforehand yeah <laughs> and that's not to freak people out or anything but <laughs> no no well I think it's really difficult for people to separate how much of what they're experiencing is due to COVID and how much of that what they're experiencing is due to becoming a parent because as yeah. you say it's such a period of transition your 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 identity gets shifted your relationship with your body gets shifted your relationship with lots of people around you gets shifted. I mean, yeah. everything gets impacted by this and so as you say it takes a while to sort of learn about how to do this and how to be this new person except you're still the same old person but you're doing things differently and you're sort of fighting but it's a fight between the new person and the old person because you kind of have to let go of that old person in a yeah. way that's the new or discover the parts of you that actually are maybe going to be more prevalent now and, and yeah there's so much going on and I think again a lot of parents don't realize how much that's being impacted by COVID that makes so they're sort of juggling with this new identity and I suppose it comes back a bit to what I was saying before about sort of this idea that the nuclear family is enough if you've got the idea that the nuclear family is enough and you are struggling because you're there just isn't enough support for you you might have this idea that actually it's because you are failing as a parent rather than actually because you're not meant to be doing it this way because the things that are meant to be there to support you during this really difficult transition aren't there yeah. so it's really difficult I think for people to separate out and and it's having a real impact on people's sense of identity I think as as parents because they think they're failing somehow or getting it wrong mm-hmm. and actually they're doing one of the hardest things at one of the most difficult periods in our history yeah. so it's it's almost impossible um, but, but people will get to it and you know there, there is there is going to be <laughs> Yeah, no, no. yeah, and I think, as you say, it's really important to keep on saying we are in a pandemic. This is not normal. This is not how it should be. Actually, all bets are off. You just have to get yourself through this. Like, don't try and parent the way you expect to parent. Just try and make sure that you're okay and that sort of your, your baby, your children are okay and your relationship with them is okay. And that is actually what is going to get you 
get you through this. The other stuff can get sorted out. Yeah. And actually that sort of touches on um, something that we'd sort of, I suppose we'd sort of mentioned in the emails, the um, sort of the impact on, on babies and kids. And obviously a lot of parents are really, really worried about um, the impact on their, their children. Um, and I think um, obviously it's different at different stages what kids need and the rest of it. But especially at the very baby stage, actually, babies don't need a lot of people around them. Mm-hmm. They, they need to be learning about um, feeling safe and secure, and, and they can do that with one person. Mm-hmm. They don't need loads of people around them to help them know that, sort of, actually, if they need something, somebody is going to come and try and help them and try and be there for them. Um, and all these mother and babies groups actually generally are there to support the mums and, and the parents they're not actually there for the babies the babies don't need loads of stimulation and stuff and there's this amazing film called babies actually and i can't remember i think you can find it on vimeo um and it was about four years ago i might try and find the link and send it to you but it shows four babies from four totally different cultures and they're all sort of roughly born at the same time and so they're sort of at the same developmental stages and even though their cultures treat them really difficult, differently, one of this Mongolia, I think, one is um, South Africa, one is New York, and one is Japan, I think. I could be getting that wrong, but I think that's what they are. And all these children are treated totally differently. Like some of them sort of in uh, are sort of more more stimulated, given loads more. The baby in Mongolia is literally wrapped up and unable to move for about six months. Like they just they just because it means they can shove it in the papoose. It isn't going to like wander off and get eaten by one of the animals. They literally, it's sort of absolutely, it still learns to walk and crawl and do all the same stuff at the same time. And I think what's amazing about this film is it shows that actually babies will use whatever they need to develop. Like they are programmed to find ways and take stuff from their environment to help them develop in ways that they need to. And unless you are, keeping them in a black box, they are going to find stuff that is going to sort of, that they're going to be able to watch, they're going to be stimulated in different ways. And I think we, we really over-emphasise um, the amount that baby needs to be stimulated. And that's not saying that obviously sort of babies can't be stimulated to do more and more and more, but actually that's not really what they need. What they really need is to be building relationships and learning about how relationships work and feeling safe and secure. Um, beginning, they don't really notice anybody else anyway do they they're kind of really just focus on the mum I mean I remember taking my kids to babe, mother and baby classes and you know they had absolutely zero interest in what was going on and yeah. any other kids and they just wanted to look at me all the time and you yeah. know, they didn't want to get involved it was more you know, like you said it's for me yeah. I think as well that we we tend to have we, we, we're in our culture and we just we only see our culture we don't really look to other cultures and see how things can be completely different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, definitely. And I think we tend to focus a lot on um, achievements and sort of, and it's and I've, I've got a bit of a thing about sort of uh, development in terms of like um, how it sort of seems to sort of lead into the sort of whole school system and that achievement focus thing, rather than actually thinking about relationships and relationships are the bits that really are the building block of everything, in my opinion. I know that other people would disagree, but actually 
I sort of think that actually it's what's really important through all of this is to focus on relationships. Like actually, and I, and, and I mean, I suppose sort of I'm struggling with homeschooling and all the rest of it. Um, sort of, yeah, my kids are a bit older, but um, I think one of the principles I've tried to sort of go by is actually whatever happens, the kids will survive, even if they sort of actually miss this year. Of, of school it, it isn't my ideal it isn't what I want for them but they sort of will but actually if our relationships break down if I if I end up shouting at my son all the time for not sort of getting on with stuff that he's doing or um if my daughter's sort of like feeling like she has to lie to me about having done something when she hasn't done it or whatever then um that's, that's going to be bad for us in the long term. That's going to be really bad for us in the long term. Sort of actually, we need to keep on making sure that we're checking in, we're having fun, that they feel valued, that all this other stuff is happening. It's, it's about relationships. That's what's going to get us through this, in, in my opinion. Um, I agree because, um, I mean, there's a lot of people, I mean, people, there's a lot of pressure at the moment on parents homeschooling, but there's a lot of people who would homeschool anyway or do a different technique you know they unschool and they yeah. teach in a completely different way you know and their kids still get through it and I mean like for me personally I I mean I missed the whole year of school because I moved around between like Britain and Iran and you know we I went to like a different school every year and you know things are constantly changing between like different languages and you know and I wouldn't say that that had an impact on my education and the way I mean I yeah, I wouldn't have said, but I mean, obviously it's different depending on different people, but I think we shouldn't put that much pressure on the fact that they're missing something because I think kids are very resilient and a lot more resilient than you think. And I think if they've got, if you're supporting them um, and they have that desire that they want to learn things, they will anyway, whether it's having to sit there in front of a computer or if you just let them go outside and find it for themselves or research it for themselves, you know, I think it's... Um, put that much pressure on ourselves well well it was, it was yeah because I was talking to my son who's now 14 and at high school the other day and we were talking about the bits that he's finding difficult about homeschooling and he was saying actually what he misses is the teachers mm -hmm. and he misses sort of actually having that input of other people mm -hmm. and and I can't give him that input all day yeah. long so we've agreed that sort of like there'll be a bit that he can do but he can't do it all because actually he really struggles without somebody there whereas actually my daughter's totally different she loves a timetable so actually she is loving sort of nailing a timetable slightly worries me sort of like she's she's far more organized than I am but it's been really interesting trying to figure out ways of helping them learn and again those are a whole load of skills like how to motivate yourself what motivates you what keeps you going and actually there are going to be some kids that there isn't stuff about this that is motivating in any way, shape or form. There is, like, they haven't got their peers around them. And if, like, hanging out with their peers is what keeps them going and they don't find, sort of, like, they're not on devices to chat with them or whatever, it's an impossible task. Mm -hmm. So I really do think it's about, sort of, learning some of these other things and it's, it's very much about learning about your relationship with your kids and all the rest of it. And I know I say that from, I suppose... I'm really aware that sort of time is really, really tight. So it's very easy for me to say this and other people to sort of think, 
uh, hang on, how am I going to do that? Like, <laughs> uh, sort of how much time is that going to take? But, um, but I think there is something about working with your child and their unique personality and what yeah. works for them and recognizing when this situation is just going to be so far away from what is going to help them learn that you actually maybe just have to give it up. Yeah, I mean, like, what I, yeah, I mean, because my, yeah, but what I mean is like there's so many different ways to learn as well. I mean, it doesn't have to just be sitting, you know, yeah. looking at, at the books and yeah. following the curriculum. Okay, I know that's like, you know, a big thing, especially if you're Absolutely. in school. But yeah. I mean, there could be positives as well of what could come out of this. You could look at it if you switch it and look at it a slightly different way. You know, maybe it's helping children to learn to self-motivate a bit earlier or maybe mm -hmm. it's helping them to figure out different things that they enjoy doing. Or maybe they just they just need that time as well to just chill out because they're also feeling stressed that they're not seeing all these their friends and their life's different. Maybe they just also just like you need to just sit back and actually not do anything for a while. But they will probably eventually, the same as anybody else, start to, I, I think, start to um, find things that are interesting to them, you know, things that, that then they want to learn more about. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, and I mean, I suppose I have sort of struggled with that at times because sometimes the things that they want to learn more about are not things that I'm interested in or things that I necessarily want them to learn. I mean, my, my son is really into computer games um, and he's really, he's really good at them. But actually, we've, we've figured a way of engaging him with computers so, so that I feel more comfortable with that. And I know that's about me, actually, um, sort of because I don't necessarily feel that sort of, I know enough about the impact of, of uh, sort of computer games and all the rest of it on him to sort of say that's bad for you or whatever. I mean, he's still very sociable and very loving and does other stuff and all the rest of it. But I know that that's about me going, I'm not comfortable with this, so I need you to help sort of find some other ways of working with computer games. So maybe programming or other things that, yeah. that I can feel more comfortable about because I'm just not happy about you just gaming all the time and and uh, yeah I think it's it's as if he can appreciate that that's my tolerance not necessarily his but again but I mean he has found interest in other things because I mean that that could be that like you said that could be a way in couldn't it you know he's gaming all the time but then maybe kind of shifting him over to well maybe you'd like to make your own game or you know maybe you want to do some kind of designing or whatever I don't know something else in the computer did has he yeah, and I think, so, but I think there's also something about taking off that pressure, as well, if that makes any sense. Because I think it's a bit like I can't remember. Did you did you hear about sort of like Gwyneth Paltrow in the first lockdown saying, "If you don't learn a new skill, then what are you actually doing?" Kind of <laughs> no, and I think it's the same kind of thing. I think almost not expecting sort of like because it would be lovely if we could get to the end of this lockdown and go, "Wow, my son is sort of like an amazing programmer now." <laughs> yeah, he might not be. He <laughs> might have really well developed thumbs, but hopefully we'll be still close enough. Yeah. That that we won't have fallen out over the fact that I find it deeply uncomfortable that he spends so much time gaming. And but I suppose yeah. like in some way he'll be there I mean you are learning things I suppose when you're gaming maybe. <laughs> I don't know, that's what my husband I would love to make it okay. I'm not sure I can make it okay. I, I think that's it. I think sometimes you just can't make things okay. Yeah. That is the really hard bit, um, mm. is going, it might not be what I would want at all. This is deeply uncomfortable for me. I don't like it. But actually, 
if our relationship is going to survive, I might just have to tolerate a bit more of him gaming than I would like to, because I want to, I want to still be getting on with him. He's 14 years old. He's at that stage where if he sort of, if he starts separating from me too much, it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. He's not going to be around for much longer. So not that I want to sort of say I'm okay with this, Mm -hmm. but at the same point, I might just have to be okay or I might just have to accept that it's going to happen as well to a certain extent and I can I can fight him on it all the time or I can just name my discomfort and and we can keep going with our relationship so balance I suppose isn't it as well between what you're comfortable with and what he's comfortable with yeah -hmm. yeah definitely definitely and and we're not always going to agree yeah Um, especially not as (laughs) teenagers no no definitely not definitely not but but yeah I think I think trying to make it trying to make everything okay is is not going to happen I think Mm. um I think there is a lot of discomfort around and actually accepting there's a lot of discomfort around so there will be lots of times when parents will lose their rag and there will be lots of times when you feel like you don't get it perfectly Mm. sort of right and I think what I find really really um, reassuring is the sort of the paediatrician Donald Winnicott who is often quoted about the concept of the good enough mother um, he was saying actually it's really important that you're not a perfect mother because actually having a perfect mother who sort of perfectly accommodates all their child's needs who gets it perfectly right means that the child doesn't learn to develop a, a, a sort of tolerance for the difficulty, a tolerance for frustration, a tolerance for disappointment, a tolerance for boredom, a tolerance for all these kinds of things. Yeah. And actually, we all need that. Yeah. And actually, the research, and I'm going to really struggle with remembering where it was, so I'm going to have to look it up afterwards, shows that actually you only need to be a perfect parent 30% of the time. Oh, yeah, I heard that as well, yeah. And <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> Very reassuring people. <laughs> it's so reassuring, isn't it? Because you sort of think, actually, 70% of the time I can, I can get it wrong. And actually, one of the most important things you can show your child is how to get it wrong and then try and make it right and then sort of repair that rupture. Um, so sort of me screaming at my son about the fact that he's on sort of his devices for the umpteenth time and I'm really hating it. And then sort of turning around and sort of going, right, okay, this is my fear. This is my fear. Like, actually, you have done all your chores. You have actually sort of like phoned your granny. You have actually sort of eaten healthy food today. You have actually been out with a dog for a walk today. So it's not that you, you aren't doing other good stuff. Yeah. But it, this is my discomfort. Um, and I really struggle with it. And, and, and then that's fine because I can... if he wants to we can talk about why I am so uncomfortable with it um but yeah it means that sort of he knows that I respect that he's a different person and and I can't know everything and I can't get it right all the time yeah that yeah I recognize that me shouting at him is not necessarily the best way of dealing with that at all um so yeah I think I think saying sorry is one of our most important sort of tools in our armory at the moment well, I think that's part of parenting as well isn't it it's, it's trying to like you like you said we're finding out our how we showing them how we deal with things it's like leading by example I suppose but like if we can't cope with something how how do we deal with how do we deal with our emotions and then show them how can they deal with their 
emotions because they definitely mirror you, don't they? I mean, if you shout, they shout, you know, or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. So I think um, it, it's a real paradox. It's sort of like, it's one of those things that, yeah, we need to take parenting seriously because it is the most important job in the world. And at the same point, we need to treat it lightly and ourselves lightly and compassionately as well because it is the most important job in the world and it's really bloody tough to get it right. So, yeah, it is, it's a real, it is a real paradox. But I suppose... I sort of generally try and sort of suggest to people to check out whether they're being compassionate to themselves. And by that, I don't mean sort of like letting themselves off the hook or whatever. You can be compassionate to yourself and still acknowledge you've got something wrong. Um, but yeah, I think being compassionate to yourself um, is really important, but also being realistic in terms of how finite we are as we are finite beings. We're not. We're not infinite. We're not endless. We don't have boundless resources available to us. We need to sort of be nourished in order to then give out again. And expecting ourselves to be infinite is is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like we said earlier, finding finding the resources that will help you to find that that moment to look after yourself, so that you've got a bit more to give. And also, I think remembering that, you know, like you said, we're in a pandemic, but it's going to end. I mean, it maybe it doesn't feel like it's going to end, but, you know, at some point it will end and life will resume in some way or another. And we will have relationships with other people. But coming out of this with our relationships with our families intact is probably the most important thing, I think, like, you, like you've been saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's sort of how I sort of see it. It's almost like a bit of a holding sort of a bit of a holding pattern. It's like, yeah, if sort of I can get through this with my relationships, my kids and my husband and sort of my friends and family mostly sort of still there, then we can carry on and do stuff. Yeah. When we've got more freedom to do so. But um and hopefully I mean that'll give it give you a bit of a stronger foundation just in the rest of life because you know we've all been through this trauma together. Yeah. I kind of feel for in in a way it's kind of it feels kind of good supportive in a way that the whole world is going through exactly the same thing and everybody is going through the same trauma because it doesn't feel like you know it's just you that's stuck in the house it's like everybody is so it kind of I don't know I find that a little bit more what's the word I found it a little more um oh, I've lost the word reassuring that's what I want to say reassuring yeah <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, I, mean, I think it, it definitely, um, yeah, well, I suppose I was thinking it sort of feels to me that um, it's been a real time of learning about relationships and, and, and sort of how to do some relationships differently. And, um, and I suppose especially we are we're learning to do communication very differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think it's been a real time for me of focusing on relationships um, because, yeah, all the other stuff is is not really very possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our kids, our relationship with people around us and our partners, um, yeah, but it's it's 
in some ways it really highlights how we do things, doesn't it? Because it sort of it makes everything a lot more clunky and a lot more like you can't just sort of bump into somebody randomly or whatever. It's it's you have to think about it all. And that's that's hard work as well. In some ways as well, like you say, it, you know, it's that intention as well, because you have to intentionally phone somebody, like you're saying. And I think we're actually at a really good point in history and the fact that we've got the ability to like talk to people on like the internet and face to face. I mean, if this happened like how, how many years ago when it happened before, you know, if you were isolated, you were isolated, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be able to phone people or talk to them or see them or anything. Yeah, no, I think, exactly. I think using the technology is definitely, you know, I know people keep saying that they've got Zoom fatigue and everything, but I think it's still, it's still important that it's there and it's, 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 it's almost a lifeline. I think it can be. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you're right, and 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 again, we're getting more creative with it, and mm-hmm. not just Zoom, but sort of different methods of communication. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. And can people just get in co- contact with you to book? Yes, absolutely. I have a website, firstandbeyond.com, and I've got some stuff on my blog that's hopefully useful for people. Um, I. I do, yeah, I do one-to-one therapy. I also do um, EMDR, which is useful for um, for trauma, especially. Um, and I also do this thing called video interaction guidance, which can be really helpful if you're if you're worrying about your relationship with your your child or your baby. Actually, it's a really useful way of um, sort of generally learning that you're doing a great job. Is is the the short of it? It's a really positive experience and they use it quite a lot in mother and baby units actually if there are bonding issues Has, um, is that, do you, are you videoing your relationship or you literally are um oh it's it's brilliant basically the way it's working online at the moment is um you video an interaction between you and your your child your baby and that can be moving at work or feeding or um playing a game or, or something like that and um and then i analyze that and, and i edit like literally up to five tiny micro, micro moments together. So those micro moments would be a maximum of 10 seconds. And in those edits, I will be noticing what you did to set up positive interactions with your child. So it might literally be as subtle as like watching a mum sort of sort of shift her body or sort of seeing something out the corner of her eye or whatever. Or it might be that sort of the baby makes a noise and you don't really notice the noise, but you notice the mum turn or whatever. So actually what it shows parents is that they do more than they think they do, or they're noticing more than they think they are. And, and it's um, it's sort of incredible because people don't notice what they do. Parents don't know, notice what they do. They really don't realise mm-hmm. how much they're taking in about what their child's up to and what's going on. So when they see it on video, it's so powerful because it's concrete, they can actually see it. So it's like, I ask them, can you see what's going on? And they go, yeah, actually, I hadn't realised that he made that funny squawk and I suddenly turned around mm-hmm. and I saw that he was about to topple on a him or whatever it was, or sort of like, or he looked at me and he was so delighted because I'd seen him do this thing he was really proud of, or whatever it is that happens. And they don't notice that they're doing all these things all the time, this dance going on all the time. So if you can show them these tiny, tiny moments, they're like, wow, and they can start building on it and noticing it more themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
anyway, that was very complicated, but as you can tell, I quite like it. I think it's a, I think it's a really, and I think what's really lovely is that the parents then get to keep that. They yeah. then have those things for being able to remind themselves, I can do this. This is what, sort of like, this is on camera, sort of like without me even realizing I was caught doing these things, sort of, so I must be doing this all the time without noticing. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a brilliant process, definitely. So yes, so those are the kinds of things I can do, and I, I am on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not terribly. Um, I, I, I occasionally post um, when when something really grabs me. I'm not. I'm not there all the time. Um, I tend to be better if people want to email me or call me. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I sort of I tend to like watching what other people are up to on, on social media, but I find that I I yeah it, it sort of that's not where I spend my energy. So yeah. Uh, yeah, great. But people can get in contact with you if they want to use your services and absolutely yeah. And we, generally, I think what we want to say is people are doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. Totally. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I think that's my main thing is that parents don't realise what a good job they're doing and. The reason they're so distressed is because they don't realise what a good job they're doing. And yeah, if they just have more support to realise that, actually they might feel a bit better and they might feel a bit um, more reassured. And obviously not that any of us needs to get cocky or think we've got it made, but actually being compassionate to self and recognising that generally we're doing the right job can just take the pressure off a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much. Oh, it's been really lovely talking to you, Rob. Uh, yeah, thank you for asking me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on.